A reading from the Revelation to John. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and all who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, to, and he said to me, These are true words of God. The word of the Lord. The book of Revelation is extremely controversial. It's been controversial since it was written. We believe that it was uh, revealed to John around 95 AD. John was on the island of Patmos, exiled from Asia Minor from his parish. His parish was in Ephesus. And on a Sunday morning, as he tells us, he beheld the heavens opened and he saw a vision. He saw an apocalypse. The Greek word apocalypsis means to reveal or to uncover. I think I should have begun with Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Sorry. I'm not used to microphones, kind of distracted there. And so John saw a number of, of things in the celestial realm. He saw the same vision that Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel saw the celestial temple, the throne room of God. We heard some of the uh, things that he uh, saw and heard in the lesson today. Chapter 19 actually follows something in chapter 18 that's important to see for context. So I'm going to read chapter 18 to you. It's a little bit long, but we'll see what we can do. After this, I saw another angel come down from the heavens with great authority given to him. The earth shone with his glory. At the top of his voice, he shouted, Babylon has fallen, Babylon the great has fallen, has become the haunt of devils, the lodging for every foul spirit and dirty loathsome bird. All the nations have drunk deep of the wine of her prostitution. Every king on the earth has prostituted himself with her. Every merchant has grown rich through her debauchery. So Babylon is being compared to a harlot in this particular passage. Another voice spoke from the heavens, I heard it say, come, come out, my people, away from her so that you do not share in the crimes and have the same plagues to bear as her. Her sins have reached to the sky. God has her crimes in mind. Treat her as she's treated others. She must be paid double the amount that she's exacted. She is to have a doubly strong cup of her own mixture. Every one of her pomps and orgies is to be matched by a torture or agony. She thinks, I'm enthroned as queen. I am no widow, and I will never know bereavement. For that in one day the plagues will fall on her, 
disease and mourning and famine. She will be burned to the ground, and the Lord God who has condemned her is mighty. And then the next couple of paragraphs in chapter 18 talk about how the entire world, the Roman Empire, mourns at the fall of Babylon. Now, Babylon is a symbol. The book of Revelation uh, has lots of symbolism in it, a lot of codes. So we read Babylon, but we should think Rome. We read Harlot, we should think the Roman Empire, the evil empire. The reason for all of the, uh, the um, <clears throat> symbolism, imagery, secret code is because Christianity at this time was illegal. About 70 AD, the Jews and the Christians separated. We were no longer considered to be a sect or a part of Judaism. We couldn't pray together in the synagogues. So there was a lot of animosity by that point, by 70 AD. So fast forward 15 years later, 20 years later, and you have this revelation that John received. But when God gave him the revelation, it was coded so that should somebody from the Roman Empire pick up a copy of this book or hear the message, they wouldn't understand on purpose. It was meant to be held that the Roman Empire wouldn't understand what was going on in this book. And so you had heavy-duty codes, the beast, 666. It says in the book of Revelation, this is a human number. It requires wisdom to figure out what it means. And the scholars have put together all the possibilities, and it turns out that the 666, A is B, A is 1, B is 2, C is 3, D is 4, so each letter has a, a parallel number. To add up all the letters of Nero Caesar, and that equals 666. Nero Caesar died 30 years before this particular book was written, before this particular vision was seen. So why are we referring to a dead emperor who is not a very good guy? Because the present emperor, Domitian, who was not a very good guy either, if you mention his name in public in a negative way, off to the Colosseum with you, off to the lions and the tigers, the gladiators and the bears. And so everything is couched in this symbolic code. So Rome is referred to as Babylon. Babylon's an ancient kingdom that's dead. It was a bad kingdom. We know that, an evil empire. But it's much safer to refer to Babylon in negative terms as being destroyed, as falling, than it would be to mention Rome because this would be seditious talk, treasonous talk. And so chapter 18, the people of the world, the Roman Empire, mourns for the fall of Babylon, for the fall of Rome to take place in the future. And then we pick up with chapter 19. And you have that on the handout I just gave you, so if you want to read along with that. <clears throat> After this, I heard what seemed to be the mighty voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. Now, the folks who put together the liturgy, the liturgy of service, left out two verses, and I'll read those. Powers belongs to God, for his judgments are true and just. He's judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He's avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And now we pick up with what you have in your laps. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice crying, praise our God, all you his servants, you here fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like a sound of many waters 
like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And it continues with more of the fall of Babylon and the fall of this harlot, and I won't go into that. We don't need that. Chapters 18 and 19 of the book of Revelation parallel each other with a very opposite correspondence, a juxtaposition of opposites. Rome and Satan, the heavenly Jerusalem, and God. Destruction and annihilation, victory and life. The drunken harlot bedecked with linen, scarlet, purple, gold, jewel, and pearls. And the beautiful bride dressed as pure white, fair linen. Drunken, adulterous brawl of the harlot and of the beast, and the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. Fire and brimstone, smoke rising, the result of worshiping the beast, incense rising in the worship and prayer to God. One little side note. The word alleluia, or as we have it today in the text, hallelujah, appears in the New Testament only in the book of Revelation. It's only found four times in the entire book of Revelation. It's Greek for the Hebrew, Hallel Yah, praise Yahweh, praise God. Alleluia is the Latin version. Almighty, omnipotent, omnipotent, all-sovereign, all-powerful. In my tradition, we use the Greek, Pantokrator. You have an autocrat, a democrat, party, but democracy. So an autocrat is a self-ruler. Democracy is ruled by the people. Pantokrator, all-sovereign, ruling over all. So the Roman Empire is symbolized and depicted as a harlot bedecked in imperial purple, scarlet, gold, jewels, pearls. She's an ironic parody of everything the church, the bride, is not. So in this chapter, chapter 19, we're taken back to the celestial throne room that Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and John himself saw. Chapters 1, 4, 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Revelation all have this vision of the throne room, God sitting, the Lamb sitting, the various elders, the 24 elders, and the four living creatures. So in chapter 19, in contrast to the harlot of chapter 18, there is this other woman dressed in fine linen. This is the bride, and she symbolizes us, the church, the body of Christ. So once the harlot has been cast down and the smoke of her fall rises forever, the bride steps forward. The glitzy and corrupt world of Babylon, read Rome, has been overthrown for good, and God's people come forth dressed in shimmering, pure, fine linen. Then we have the marriage of the lamb and his bride. That's the focal point of this particular chapter. It's the focal point of the entire book of Revelation. This is a marriage between God and his people, a marriage between Christ and his church, a marriage between heaven and earth. 
Babylon stands for the real power behind the throne. Babylon stands for the devil. Babylon's the apocalyptic code word for Rome. A symbol of all that's against the kingdom of God. The kingdom where God reigns, where God is the autocrat, the pantocrat. But the true real power is not Rome. It's not the harlot. It's not the emperor. It's not the beast. It's Satan who stands behind them all. Lucifer, the fallen angel. Satan, that ancient subtle serpent in the garden who led all of humanity to rebel against God. So in chapter 19, a wedding is planned. The marriage supper of the Lamb of God. Now what is all that about? Well, at my church, St. Nicholas Church, on Easter Saturday, the day before Easter, we gathered at about 10.30 and we had a prayer service. And about midnight, we began the Holy Eucharist. Our Easter Eucharist is the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. In the middle of the night on that Holy Pascha, that Holy Passover, that Holy Easter, the bride and her bridegroom come together in nuptial joy and consummate this beautiful marriage by receiving Holy Communion, by becoming one flesh with our bridegroom. But Pascha happens once a year. So what do we do on Sundays? What was John doing on that Sunday he was on the island of Patmos? Doing what every Christian has done ever since the Last Supper. Well, at least since St. Paul said we should do it on, for, on Sundays. Have the Eucharist. That's what Christians do. Whether you're in prison or not. If at all possible. About 25 years ago in my parish, we had a visitor. He was from Romania. He had been in solitary confinement for about 15 years. Previous to that, he had been in, in the prison in the gulag, the Romanian gulag. And he told the story that because Christians were illegal in that particular Chuchesco government, that Protestants, Orthodox, and Catholics would get together and pray together as, as, as much as they could. And on Sundays, they would have the Eucharist. But how could you have the Eucharist if it was supposed to be something that you weren't supposed to do? Because they would keep bread from the meal previous to that. Friday, Saturday, whenever they would get bread, and keep it and share that in Eucharist. Protestants, Catholics, and Orthodox all together in one service in a jail cell. That too is the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. What we're gathered here today is the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. In a bigger picture, mystical union with our, our Savior, with Christ Himself. We, his bride, he, the bridegroom. When you come to communion today, you'll be entering into communion with your bridegroom. So back to the um, passage here on the front. Why is this great multitude in heaven singing hallelujah? Because just previously, and when this was written, there were no chapters and verses, by the way. The chapters were put in in the Middle Ages, and the verses were put in in the Renaissance, or vice versa. So chapter 18 and chapter 19 was really one big passage. And so referring to the fall of Babylon, that is the hallelujah, that is the praise God. This particular hallelujah is associated with Handel's Messiah. And I emailed Lindsay just yesterday, foolish thought that I had, that maybe Lindsay could play 
this, but, and she could if she had more time. But if you look on the inside of your bulletin, we'll see if we can make this work here. Oh dear, stop, stop. It worked a minute ago, it worked a minute ago. Come on, settings. I had it. Ah, oh, don't tell me, I can do this. Bluetooth is on. JBL is connected, now connect, hold on. Come on, connect. Old men in high technology, not good stuff. Come on, connect. Maybe we'll have to sing it ourselves. Make sure JBL is turned on and in range. It's in range. It was just here. There we go. Now, okay. Connected? Connected. Okay, now we can do this. This is good for my humility to have things go wrong, right? All right, try this again. Now find YouTube. Whoops, that's email. Here we go. You get the idea, okay. <laughs> we'll, we can maybe sing it later on too as well. I don't want this to be the longest homily in Christendom, so we'll just kind of stop. The Hallelujah Chorus actually is made up of three different verses from the book of Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 6, which we just sang. Chapter 11, verse 15, which is the central verse of the book of Revelation. Chapter 11, verse 15. How many of you remember when you were in school or maybe when you are in school, and in the classroom above the chalkboard, the teacher would have some sort of something up there, like, you know, maybe some sort of saying or something. Well, if you took the book of Revelation and started in this corner of the classroom, and verse by verse, all the way around, chapter by chapter, and ended up with the first verse there and the last verse there, directly halfway through the book of Revelation is chapter 11, verse 15. So it's the central verse of the book of Revelation. And it's not a coincidence with that central verse. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign unto the ages of ages. That's the central message of the book of Revelation. That's what the whole book is about. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of God and of his Christ, and he shall reign unto the ages of ages. And then finally, uh, from chapter 19, verse 16, which uh, I don't believe we have 
in our passage today, um, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I should have asked you all to stand during the Hallelujah course because we're supposed to do that when it's played for real. So there's two important biblical themes that take place in this chapter. One is the kingdom of God is an eternal wedding banquet, the marriage feast of the Lamb of God. Uh, in, in the bulletins today, can I see your bulletin for a second? The very first hymn that we sang, at the Lamb's high feast we sing. And what is that feast? It's the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. That's the high feast. Of course, it's Easter, it's Pascha. It's an ongoing wedding banquet throughout our lives, throughout history, from first century until the ages of ages. And blessed are those of us who are called to that wedding supper. The second theme that I want to spend a little bit more time on, this is a Bible study here tonight, is the theme that marriage, marriage in the Bible is the single most common theme that we can find when God is revealing the way he wants to interact with us, his people. God is always the faithful bridegroom. And in the Old Testament era, the bride Israel kept on playing the harlot, kept on turning to other gods and goddesses, kept on getting chastised, being taken off to Babylon, being taken off uh, to Assyria for their harlotry. But the single most often found image in the Bible for the relationship that God wants with his people is that of marriage. Hosea, chapter 2. I will betroth you to myself unto the ages of ages forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me, says God to his people, in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord your God. Isaiah in chapter 25 says, On Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of fat things, feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, wine on the lees, well refined, fatted calves, great feast. Chapter 54 of Isaiah, God says to us, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Jeremiah in chapter two says, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love to me, as a bride. 31 of Isaiah of Jeremiah gets a little bit strong here. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after the, those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it upon their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the next in the Bible is the Song of Songs. It doesn't mention God once, not once, in the entire book of the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, Canticle of Canticles. In fact, it almost didn't make it in the Hebrew Bible. But the rabbi said, no, it really should be there because it's an allegory for the love of God and of his people, the lover and the beloved. Nuptial imagery, nuptial relationship. Fast forward now to Jesus, and in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He's referring to himself as the bridegroom. The days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them, and then they will fast. Chapter 22, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a marriage feast for his son, but all the invitees had excuses not to attend. 
In chapter 25, there's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And he says, behold the bridegroom, go to meet him. Jesus is referring to himself. Ephesians, epistle of Paul, which we read in the Orthodox Church at weddings, and sometimes people ask, please don't read that because of what it says about the bride being subject to her husband in all things. And it always takes a homily to explain that it's not about that. But Ephesians chapter 5, Christ is the bridegroom of the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his body, one flesh with him. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a great mystery, says St. Paul, and I mean it in reference to Christ and the church. Second Corinthians, Paul says, I betrothed you to Christ to present you as a pure bride to your one husband. We read this today. Let us rejoice and be exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. And towards the very end of the book of Revelation, we're almost done with the Bible study. Then came one of the seven angels who spoke to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And the Spirit carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from the heaven from God, having the glory of God. So Jerusalem becomes the image for the church, the bride of God. Okay, so that's kind of a um, long-involved Bible study. But what does all this mean for us today? What is this meant for Christians throughout the 2,000 years of Christian history? How many of you have read The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis? All right, so C.S. Lewis used the book of Revelation as a very heavy cue for his entire book. The Last Battle, Babylon Has Fallen. So in the book of Revelation, chapters 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, all depict this final last battle between God and the great imperial system of Rome and its power broker elite. They're the ones who personify the dark side. Their fate is to be thrown alive into the lake of fire, echoing lots of biblical passages concerning the fate of the prince of darkness and his minions and the dark side. Anglican bishop N.T. Wright writes that, Revelation 19 promises, but it also warns that there can be no doubt about the final outcome. He says, monstrous regimes may come and go. I'm thinking of like the USSR or ISIS. Lies and deceits will come to spread in our own realms and be accepted blindly by the majority of people, as happened in the Roman Empire. He, begins, he ends his statement by saying, we must be on our guard during such times. We must hold strong, we must band together, we must persevere, despite the seeming odds that are against us in this battle. So the bottom line of all this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will be victorious, and you and I are called to his wedding banquet. So I'd like to end with a homily that is written by St. John Chrysostom, at least that's who it's attributed to. And we read this in the Orthodox Church every Easter Sunday night at midnight, right after uh, we gather together at midnight, right after the gospel passage. 
The table is richly laden, John Chrysostom reminds us on Easter night. All of you, feast sumptuously. All of you, partake the banquet of faith. Let no one weep over his sins, because forgiveness has burst forth with light from the tomb. Let no one fear death, for the death of the Savior has set us free. He subdued death when it embraced him. When he descended into Hades, he took Hades captive. He embittered it as it tasted his flesh. In anticipation of this, Isaiah cried out, Hades was embittered when it encountered you below. It was bittered, for Hades was abolished. It was embittered, for Hades was mocked. Hades was embittered, for it was condemned. It was embittered, for it was deposed. It was embittered, for it was bound in chains. Hades took a body, and it touched God. Hades took earth, but it met heaven. It took what it saw, and it fell headlong to where it did not expect. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Christ is risen, and you are overthrown. Christ is risen, and the demons are laid low. Christ is risen, and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen, and life reigns abundant and free. Christ is risen, and there are no dead left in the grave. For Christ, having risen from the dead, has become the firstborn of those who sleep. To him be glory and power unto the ages of ages. Amen. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign unto the ages of ages. King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever. Hallelujah. 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 Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Do you want to try and sing it on your own just a little bit? Want to try that? I don't want to try that again. I'm saying a couple of these. All right, let's try it. Okay, so, Lindsay, can you give us a note that is singable and not down here in the froggy bass? What note? How about a G, maybe? I don't know. I'm just choosing that out of the... I mean, I could play the thing again, but... We can always restart it if it's not the right note. Okay, sure. Alleluia. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia.